Okay, so it's nice to see you again this evening. And I hope it's been a fruitful day of working with metta and also the compassion that Karen introduced earlier today, if you were able to make the yoga. And um, we may be beginning to see at this point in the retreat the way these heart qualities are functioning as protections. Um, I emphasized that for metta yesterday, but it's really the case for all of the heart qualities, the Brahmaviharas that we're working on this week, is that they have a way of keeping the heart in a state where it's less likely to get thrown off kilter, and so that just makes our life go more smoothly. It protects us from the normal, inevitable bumps of the world. And you may also be seeing that the uh, metta is conducive to mindfulness. I think we had a question about that yesterday. So this, when the mind is in a wholesome state, it's actually easier to be mindful. So they go together well. So the idea for this evening, then, is to move on to the uh, second, traditionally listed second of the uh, Brahma-viharas, which is karuna, or compassion. And you may have already been looking at this, but um, it's the heartfelt wish for another being to be free from suffering. That's the most fundamental understanding of compassion, we bring in all kinds of other ideas and associations and expectations of what we need to be in order to be compassionate, but most fundamentally it's simply the heartfelt wish for another to be free from suffering. So, um, why don't we go ahead and get started with some meditation then to settle in. So finding a posture for meditation. Again, with these heart qualities, we would tend to emphasize being in an easeful, uh, comfortable posture, although, of course, not one where you'll easily fall asleep. allowing yourself just to feel the sense of the body sitting. So your seat against the chair or the cushion and your legs or feet against the floor. Maybe taking a couple of long, slow, deep breaths. And on the out-breath, softening body. Sensing into the straightness of the body. If you're upright, you may feel how the 
body is rising upward in a sense. We're anchored on the cushion or the chair and it's as if the spine releases upward like a sea plant off the sea floor. Or if you're more lying down right now, we still have a sense of straightness in the spine, even when it's horizontal. And that straightness gives the sense of a certain nobility to the posture, a sense of dignity. Allowing the attention to turn inward. Softening the eyes in the eye sockets. The jaw. Inside the head, softening the thinking muscle. through the shoulders, letting the shoulder blades slide down the back. Down the arms to the hands. through the chest and the heart area, just checking in with how the heart is right now. You may imagine breathing through the heart area, either directly in the, through the front of the chest or just imagining that the air flows around the heart as it comes into the lungs. However the heart is, is fine. And down into the belly area, letting that be soft, if it's willing. Releasing a little bit of the tension that we tend to habitually carry in the belly. Down into the hip joints and the groin muscles down through the thighs, knee joints, calves and ankle joints, and into the feet, just inviting ease 
through the body. As we continue to sit quietly, we can bring to mind a person who is suffering in some way. We might not want to pick the absolute heaviest example that we have right now somebody that we know and care about who is suffering in some way could be physical could be more emotional or mental someone hopefully with whom we have a relatively simple relationship we touch into first that suffering that we know that they're feeling we allow that to touch our own heart in a gentle way but still to be touched and we connect with our wish that that person be free from that suffering It doesn't mean the situation has to completely end, although that would be nice, of course. But maybe they would just find some freedom with it, some ease. We wish that for them. And as we use this image in the mind, this imagination, we can feel that feeling in the heart, the sense of compassion. It's a beautiful human quality that we can care for each other like this. So there can even be a little bit of uplift amidst the knowledge of the suffering So those different components of compassion, facets of it, can be held all at once in the heart. And as we breathe with this simple and yet multifaceted human feeling in the heart, We imagine it like a lamp. Compassion has a shine to it. Maybe as we breathe in, we sense the compassion gathering 
becoming stronger in the heart, drawing in from different parts of the body. And then on the out-breath, there's a sense of releasing it naturally outward. Spreading it. As that sense in the heart gets stronger, we can release the image, the idea, and just sense the bodily feeling and the image of the light in the heart. Just imagine it shining as far as it wants to go. Maybe it's only a little ways. Or maybe it's a little farther. Whatever is available right now is totally fine. What makes compassion boundless is that we don't put any bound on it. So just to clarify that, we can imagine sliding a curtain away from the front of the body so that the compassion is released and shines uninhibited in front of us like a light from the heart and then we imagine sliding the curtain around to the right Compassion can also shine to the right. And then to the back. We don't often have much awareness to our back. All our sense organs point to the front. So you might take a moment just to really feel that the we can sense behind us. There's no limit on what the heart can do and letting the compassion even radiate out behind us. sliding that curtain around so that the left is completely unbounded. 
compassion is shining in all directions around. And then opening upward above us. And also downward below us. And we can know that any being that is touched by our light shining freely in all directions is touched by that compassion. There's no pushing. Lights don't push out their light. So just resting and directing the energy toward the heart so that it can shine farther. As we work with these radiation practices, we can understand that the light from the heart has to shine through our body in order to go out into the world. The body is no obstacle to the light, but we can understand that there's no way to do these practices such that we are not touched first. Your entire body is bathed in the compassion that is flowing out of you. You are always the first recipient. So resting with that.
And if the mind wanders away, that's normal. We can just restart the light when we return to presence. Checking in again that we have a sense of a heartfelt wish for beings to be free from suffering. It's not a heavy wish, actually. There's a lightness to compassion because it's natural. we can begin to shift the attention slightly. We can feel that the compassion is radiating out into the space around us. And with just a change of focus, we can take in that sense of space, the broad space in which We're sitting in the middle, the space that contains all beings. Just letting the mind connect with this wide space. A compassionate heart can hold it all because of this vast space. to whatever degree possible, letting the mind rest in the space and gently releasing the intention to radiate.
is ready can again feel the sensations of the body maybe the breath or the places where you're sitting just gently coming into awareness of this particular being your body here and resting with the flow of sensations in your heart area belly head and shoulders arms and legs coming into the uniqueness of this being just resting with the flow of the body and the mind at this moment letting go of any particular practice and just being present with the body
Okay, so gently returning to the room. So compassion is the, of course, the heart quality that relates the most directly to suffering or to dukkha. And we tend to associate the idea of suffering with something unpleasant and hence something that we don't really want to be in contact with. Of course, that's why it's suffering. But the, um, the beautiful paradox, if you will, of compassion is that compassion itself is not actually unpleasant in the usual sense. It's not unpleasant in the same way that raw dukkha is. So it's a way to be with pain, our own or other people's, other beings, without getting swallowed up by the difficulty of it. And it's interesting that wisdom does the same thing. Right? Wisdom is also something that allows us to be with suffering without getting totally swallowed up by it. So wisdom and compassion are actually quite close. So when we cultivate compassion on the cushion, especially using radiation practice, we we need to know what compassion feels like and then stay in touch with that. I pointed you first toward an image to generate it, but then there's a need to be able to uh, stay with that feeling in the body and the heart. So I want to talk a little bit about the feeling of compassion. And of course it's quite individual, um, but let me offer something that I was touched by um, from another teacher who said that he calls compassion exquisitely painful. And I liked that phrase. It touched me in a certain way because because it points toward avoiding two ways that um, we might be slightly off in our compassion. And compassion is has some subtlety to it and it's also easy to be a little bit off. And so it's, it's worth taking some time to cultivate a clearer feeling of what compassion really is. So first, um, so this idea of exquisitely painful, um, there's first this, this element of being a little bit painful. And I, you know, I said it's not unpleasant in the usual sense, but we do have to remember that there is contact with some kind of suffering. And so, we don't want to fall into, say, pity or some other kind of distancing when we're feeling compassion, a sense of, okay, you're suffering over there and I'm over here feeling sorry for you <laughs> or some such. I'm exaggerating a little, but we do kind of do that uh, in cases where you know, we don't want to quite feel it or be quite aware of it. So. Um, we have to remember that we are in contact with dukkha uh, when we're uh, practicing compassion. But the second part is that it says not just that it's painful, 
but that it's exquisitely painful. Mm-hmm. And so we're not just falling into the pain of a, you know, a sort of a gross and unrefined sense, you know, oh, give me your pain, you know, I want to feel that. We, it's not, that's not actually very compassionate to just take on the pain of another person that leads to burnout pretty quickly, and all it does is increase the total amount of pain. <laughs> if they have it, and then you take it on also, uh, that doesn't really help. So, um, compassion is actually quite a refined mind state, and um, that's because true compassion partakes of some degree of wisdom. So we're in contact with, we are in contact with the dukkha, but there is some understanding about the bigger picture of that. We understand something about this is part of the human condition, or this is impermanent, or this is impersonal, just happens this way. Somehow, we have some kind of a wisdom element to our contact with the dukkha, and that is what allows us to remain present and strong without falling into the other person's pain. So then we can have, we can have unusual ideas like, oh, this feeling is exquisitely painful. <laughs> So see what you think. You may come up with something different for yourself. I'm not imposing this terminology, but I wanted to point toward uh, some of the different facets of compassion with that. So once we have some sense um, of this feeling and attitude from the cushion, we're better equipped to practice compassion out in the world. And one approach that I have found useful Um, is to bring in the notion, bring to mind the notion of what's called common humanity. So this is maybe captured in the phrase, just like me, which um, can be very helpful in the daily life practice of compassion. So we can consider, just like me, other people, like these specific other people that I'm seeing on the street, they have plans for their life. They have desires and aversions. They have happy memories and they have tragic events in their past, maybe way more than we could know. They have families and maybe pets. Um, Just like me, they're doing the best they can with an imperfect situation in their life and in the world. Or maybe it's perfectly imperfect. Maybe they're awake enough to know that, but most of us walk around with a sense that things are a little imperfect. And it's just like me. Those other people have that. I can understand their pain and their grief and their frustration because I have probably experienced something similar in some way. Maybe not exactly the same thing, but something similar. And anyway, uh, I have the same body in a similar kind of mind, and I'm going to grow old and ill and die myself, just like them, and we're all in that together. So this sense of common humanity, of the the things that unite us, um, is a real support for compassion out in the world. You don't have to like or condone the things that are happening or the mind states people are displaying. but we can recognize that those are what humans do. Maybe we have those same roots in our heart also. So compassion 
And to bring in another facet of it is also related to forgiveness, um, you know, which we need in relation to painful events in our life. So this is from Utejaniya. He was telling a story about a yogi. He said, One yogi experienced very strong hatred every time he remembered a particularly difficult encounter. I suggested to him that whenever his mind felt really firm, stable, and calm, to bring up the memory in order to see what he could learn from it. He did this over a long period of time, and little by little he began to understand things. Then, at some point, he no longer experienced any anger when the memory of that event or the image of that person came up. He was able to forgive because he had really understood the situation. So here we have a link between compassion and wisdom through this quality of forgiveness. But this person has a, you know, a painful memory and a, a terrible event that happened or something that made him angry with another person who doesn't have an event like that in their past, or many of them. Um, but Utejaniya says, well, just wait until your mind is pretty clear and stable so you know you have a good foundation and then you can if you want you can bring up the memory that's actually an act it's an act of wisdom because you're wanting to understand it but it's also an act of compassion because you're wanting to become free of it um, and so just by doing that again and again only when his mind was clear and stable you know when he knew that was a good idea um, he learned some things. He began to see, because his mind didn't immediately get sucked into it, he could see more clearly, oh, there was that aspect, there was that, I probably didn't see that in the moment. I'm filling in details that Utejaniya didn't say, but essentially he came to some other understanding over time. And then he was released. So the um, compassionate wish to be free from that suffering came about through understanding. So wisdom and compassion we see go together. Um, the insights that we have on the cushion maybe inform our ability and our motivation to act externally with compassion in the world. And maybe when we take compassionate action and cultivate the heart qualities, maybe that allows us to go deeper in meditation. So back and forth, back and forth, the mind works itself into a state of purity. This is another purification process. So maybe we can understand now why the Buddha called wisdom and compassion the two wings to awakening. Actually, he didn't say that literally, but one of the things that he did say can be read that way, and it's been picked up in the modern world, and I like it a lot. So the, you know, the deepest compassion contains the wish to alleviate the deeper kinds of suffering that we have, such as the suffering of our sense of self. Uh, so the deepest compassion includes walking the path of liberation, walking the path of wisdom. So the deepest compassion leads us to walk a path of wisdom, and the deepest wisdom manifests as some kind of boundless compassion. So maybe this gives some broader understanding of the different elements of compassion that we might be 
bringing into the heart as we do this radiation practice and as we practice in our life. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.